Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the best movies and TV shows of the year, when I talk to Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser about all the things that kept them watching throughout 2022. Plus, singer and actress Camille O'Sullivan chats about her favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Except this week it's coming to you on the radio at the later time of 9pm. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and you saw out safely the far side of the cold snap. Now, lots to get through this week. This week in TV, I was watching this. I, I want to show him. I, I want to teach him how to behave to other people in the world. I, I still want to do it. Wasn't like that with the other ones who you. Did they do something that made you want to teach them a lesson? Yes. They were all. I. Every one of them deserved it. Now, that is a clip from The Patient. And you heard the great Donald Gleason there. Uh, and it is on Disney Plus. It's been there since late November. i just catching up with it. I've watched five of its 10 parts and it's pretty gripping stuff uh, unusual conceit you might say Donald Gleason plays a patient of the psychotherapist Steve Carell uh, Steve Carell who's doing a great line in serious roles despite his comedic nouse in things like The Office and The 40 Year Old Virgin but he plays a therapist and he's not getting anywhere with Donald Gleason's character Gene and then one day he wakes up unconscious and Gene has taken him prisoner and is keeping him hostage in his basement. Gene's problem is, we find out once he's in the basement, that he has a compulsion to kill people. Steve Carell is terrified, as you might imagine, but now faces the strange process of having to treat him while he's being kept hostage. This is a really meaty, suspenseful two-hander because it's in essence... Donald Gleason and Steve Carell staring at each other and occasionally fighting each other. I won't say too much more about it because there's a lot of good cliffhanger moments at the end of every mercifully short episode. They're all about 30 minutes. This is really good. Steve Carell's character has a backstory which slowly emerges. So does Donald Gleason's, obviously, if he's a serial killer of sorts. But this is really entertaining, dark, but pretty compulsive viewing, maybe occasionally daft given the premise, but I still think it's well worth a watch. Very entertaining. The Patient now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Now, the big cinema release of the week, and I suppose you could say in some senses the year because of its long expectation, is Avatar The Way of Water. Avatar 2, the much-talked-about sequel to James Cameron's Avatar, which came out in 2009, which James Cameron has been toiling away on for those 13 years, by all accounts. The news isn't good, folks. I sat through all three hours and 12 or 19 minutes of it. It is over three hours long on Wednesday morning. It was nice to be in the heat, out of the cold. But apart from that, there is very little to recommend the new Avatar because primarily it looks like a video game. The technology may be impressive for about 15 minutes, but it literally feels like you're watching a video game or as somebody said, a screensaver. It's this highly pixelated characters and you're not sure why there's even actors in it because they've been, you know, treated to within an inch of their life. I saw it in 3D and again, the 3D is impressive, but it's impressive for about 10 minutes and then you suddenly realize you're watching this movie that has very little plot about this family of blue people played by headed by Sam Worthington and Zoe Zaldana who move from their forest home on the run from people from the sky to this watery underworld where they 
play with giant fish creatures and then it all ends up in this kind of long drawn out battle. I just, it was irritatingly bad, to be honest with you. It got on my nerves. The plot just is like the plot of a video game. Uh, It's really not worked out. This was, to my mind, a waste of time. I was very disappointed by it. I want to be honest and tell you that, you know, reviews are varying wildly. Empire gave it five stars. Uh, The Telegraph gave it one star. That was just after a cursory look this morning. So the reviews appear to be all over the place. For my part, for those of you who care what I think, I really think this is best avoided and you have a lot better things to do with three hours of your life than go see Avatar 2, The Way of Water. My apologies to James Cameron, who, you know, made an effort to make something unique. It's certainly unique, but that's all it is. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now it's that time of the year where we look back and look at what might have been great, what you might have missed, what the top hits and misses, well, mostly hits, because we're positive kind of people in the cinema and also on TV was. I'm delighted to be joined by Aoife Barry of The Journal and also co-host of Get Around to a Podcast and a former guest on this show, uh, hopefully soon to be a regular, (laughs) uh, film critic Chris Wasser to look at their best TV and movie picks of the year. Eve is going to be looking at TV primarily and Chris at movies, although they might jump around a bit because they're very learned, cultured people. Hello to you both. Hello. Hey, John. Thank you for doing this. Listen, Chris, I just want to start with you really quickly. We've been talking about Avatar in the show, Avatar 2, The Way of Water. I saw you at the screening of it earlier this week. I was really disappointed. In 90 seconds, what did you make of it? I just thought it was probably the most boring, the most lopsided thing that I've I've seen this year. Um, I think it's so strange that Cameron has managed to make a 192-minute film out of a story that kind of just maybe only, only warrants about half an hour. That's all there is in this thing. Um, there's not much of a plot. Um, it's all about the scenery. It's all about the technology. And it was such a shame, I found, to see Cameron, who, I mean, it's, it's easy to joke about Cameron spending, you know, all the money in the world on these, you know, uh, blue space smurf films um but you know on a good day he's up there with the best of them and his titanic you know although you know it it, it gets an awful lot of criticism it's a technical marvel and the terminator films are among the greatest sci-fi films in the history of cinema and i just thought there was none of that on show there was none of the charm or the magic on show in, in the new avatar i thought it was quite witless it was you know bloated indulgent obviously anything that passes the 180 minute mark and this is 192 minutes is going to be indulgent and i thought it was quite empty headed i mean it, i i don't i didn't understand why there was space whales in there and why we had to have that free willy type uh, <laughs> um, I didn't understand why we were moving away from the actual avatar element of the story. There are no avatars anymore. And I didn't understand why why you need three hours to just set up another film. You could do that in an hour and a half. You could do that in two. So I was just, it's probably the most bored that I've been in a, in a, in a, in a movie theater this year. I completely concur. I, and I had that feeling of when you're on a long haul flight yeah. and you're hoping the time has moved faster and you're checking your watch going, I wonder, is it 5am and it's only, you know, 10 past three and you're really disappointed. That's exactly how I felt. So listen, I concur completely. Aoife, count yourself lucky. You weren't there. Uh, <laughs> I can't, can't wait to sit through three hours of that, uh, of that yeah. film. Three hours, 19 minutes, just oh, to be gosh. exact. So listen, Aoife, let's start with you. Uh, TV continues to knock it out of the park, I, I, I think I have to say. And we have regular conversations on this show about, you know, maybe TV is where it's at even more mm. than movies. We don't have to get into that now, but let's let's start with your first pick of, of a great TV show from 2022. Yeah, so one of the series I was so into this year, particularly the first half of the year, and I was just so obsessed with it that I was going onto Reddit and reading loads of uh, threads on Reddit about what people thought about it after each episode was Yellow Jackets. Um, it's on Now TV. It's got such a good storyline and it really keeps you guessing. So it's basically about a group of teenagers who were involved in a plane crash in 1996. Um, and you have the scenes from 1996, but then you fast forward to kind of present day where you meet some of their adult counterparts and you realize that something really odd went on during that plane crash because they survive it and they end up living in the wilderness for 19 months. So some of them actually make it home, but some weird stuff went down while they're in the wilderness and the adult versions of the people that that survive, even though we don't know if like how many survive by the time it gets to, to the present day, some of them start getting these letters with or these postcards with symbols on them that clearly have some sort of a meaning that 
that leads back to that time in the wilderness. So you've got the kind of really great plucky gang of teenage girls from the 90s and a couple of guys who ended up uh, being on the plane as well too who were involved with their soccer team. And then you have the adult versions and you've such a good cast. Like you have Melanie Linsky, you've got um, Christina Ricci, Juliette Lewis, Tony Cypress. So you've got great adult cast, a really great, a lot of newcomers in the younger cast. And it's like mystery, horror. You know that some cannibalism happened at some point, but you're not too sure exactly went down. You know that some sort of weird group was formed among the teenagers which led to the cannibalism. But by the end of the series, you don't have all the answers to everything that you want to know. And you know that there's a second series to come. So it really keeps you waiting. It's really exciting. And it really reminded me of stuff I would have loved when I was a teenager in the 90s. So it's got that real throwback feel to it too. Yeah, it sounds great. I've yet to get to it, but that kind of puzzle box box element mm. of it, I, I gather works really well. Like they're really gripping kind of puzzles. Yeah, totally. And I really found myself drawn to those kind of series this year, definitely, where every episode you're finding out new facts, but you're also finding out more kind of mysteries. You know, it, it's not that mm. it's unfolding in a way that you understand fully how the narrative is going to go. Like it's really cleverly written. Now, the question I think is as well, like how long can the writers sustain that sense of mystery and how much mm will they have to give up in the second series because I think the people who wrote it have something like five series or five seasons of it in mind so I don't know if it'll end up lasting that long you know there's always the worry that these things will kind of peak in the first season and then they won't be as good in the second or third so I'm curious to know how, how it will last but I just felt that it was really compelling like the the vibe of the stuff that goes on there in terms of the like you know relationships between the girls um, there's LGBTQ plus representation in it as well which is really great there's really good action scenes in it but there's really heartfelt moments and there's a lot of characters who maybe aren't that nice either you know like there's Mm -hmm. stuff going on with them and I appreciate a, a troublesome character as well too and you get plenty of those in Yellow Jackets Okay, sounds great. I, I, and as you say, the fear is it doesn't become another Lost or whatever. Oh which God, we know. yeah, exactly. No, yeah. that is the, always the big fear with, with a series like this, which does have kind of Lost vibes to it that you're like, please don't go the way the Lost went. Yeah, so Yellow Jackets now available to stream on Now TV and Aoife Barry is highly recommending it. Mm-hmm. Chris, let's get to your first, uh, Your your I don't know if these are in descending order, but give me one of your top picks of uh, 2022 on the big screen. Sure, I think given the week that's in it and and the fact that it's become the the most nominated film of the year at the Golden Globes, uh, we'll start with the Banshees of Inisherin. Um, for me, this is probably Martin McDonough's most complete film. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of his work uh, on on the stage in particular, but when it comes to his films everything has always been good until it isn't. And what I mean by that is, you know, in Bruges, it, it, it works as this, you know, barmy crime comedy uh, about, you know, uh, two uh, assassins on their, on their holliers almost. But there's a part <laughs> it where I just can't get on board with the plot anymore. Everything just gets a little bit too silly. And it was the same with three bill- billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, somewhere around um you know, when when uh, when Sam Rockwell's character was kind of, you know, on the path to redemption, it was good for the character, but there was just things that happened in it that just didn't sit with the rest of the plot. So I always think with McDonough, he gives us, you know, somewhere between half and three quarters of a great story. But with this, it just everything worked right up until the last scene. And, you know, for for those who haven't seen this, you know, in the simplest in the simplest sense, it's about a guy who in, you know, in, in 1920s Civil War era Ireland, this uh, uh, lovely but simple dairy farmer, Podrick, played by Colin Farrell. He, you know, goes to meet his, his, his best friend, Brendan Gleeson's uh, column one day in the pub. And he is told by Brendan Gleeson's column that their friendship is going to be terminated. And he has no idea why, other than the fact that column says, I just don't like you no more. And mm. because there's no, you know, logical reason for their brotherhood being terminated, um, he just persists until one day column just, you know, delivers a grisly ultimatum and says that he will, you know, basically start cutting off a finger every time that Podrick talks to him. Now that sounds a little bit grisly, but it's totally up. You know, it, that's 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 what we've come to expect from from McDonough's plays. Anyway, um, it just works in every sense. It's beautifully mm. performed. It's probably the best we've seen of Colin Farrell. Uh, the chemistry between uh, uh, Podrick and Colin works brilliantly because you do believe that they might have had something at some stage, and that Colin just just grew tired of, as he says in this film, you know, hearing stories about the donkey's poo all day. Um, <laughs> the, the, the direction is quite lovely. Uh, the fact that, you know, McDonough actually happened to film in the West of Ireland in the one month where there was no rainfall. That's, that's just, uh, that's just a good look. <laughs> um, the score, the performances from the supporting cast, Kerry, a lot of people have been talking about Farrell and, and Gleason's performances. Uh, Kerry Con- Condon is probably the standout performer of this film, uh, playing uh, Podrick's sister. 
who you know would have had a life of her own and a good life only that she stayed behind so that she could you know be there for her brother and also i think yeah i think mcdonald got the best out of barry kogan here who's who in a way is sort of channeling the john her character from the field as you know the the obligatory kind of village aegis uh he's he delivers a lovely performance here i just think it's mcdonald's masterwork uh beautifully performed written shot edited uh i i, I think it deserves everything good that comes its way during award season yeah, well, I completely agree with you about that film. I completely disagree with you about Three Billboards, but we don't have time to get into that now. But what I loved about it is, and I said this to Brendan and Colin when I interviewed them for my show, but it's, that's a little name drop. This will occur over the next few minutes regularly. But, you know, people underestimate the power of friendship between, you know, non-sexual friendship, how it can be really like grieving, you know, that if you lose a best mate, a female or male, you know, that's platonic, that that can be as bad as as losing a loved one. And I love films. There's not enough movies about that, I think. I, I completely agree with everything you said about this. Aoife, have you seen The Banshees of Inish Aaron? I have, yeah. I have to say, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as, as he did. That's not to say mm-hmm. I thought it was some terrible film or anything like that, obviously. Yeah. But I maybe, I, I I agree with you that the idea of friendship breaking up is something that isn't really explored enough and that it does really kind of deeply wound you when you do go mm. through that. And so I thought that it was really great to see that depicted on screen. And I, and I do agree, Chris, that Kerry Condon was a particular standout yes. and that the narrative was really kind of fully formed narrative. I guess I didn't really get a, get as much out of it, perhaps, but I d- really did think that Colin Farrell was great in it. I just, he was excellent. And I do think that the knitwear was a standout <laughs> yeah, the film for me. <laughs> that lovely yes. red jumper with the collar. If somebody could knit that for me, I'd be delighted. Yes, knitwear doesn't get the kudos it deserves in most <laughs> films. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now, listen, Eva, your next uh, TV choice, which I have seen and enjoyed thoroughly for the most part, uh, is The Bear. Tell our listeners what's going on here. This is on Disney Plus, by the way. Yeah, this is the kind of one that you'll want to have the subtitles on when you're watching it. If you're not already like me, who tends to have them on all the time because people mumble a lot on the telly these days um, uh, because it's so fast paced. Um, it's about um, a guy called Carmi. And he's from Chicago. He's played by Jeremy Allen White, who if anybody's seen the US version of Shameless, they'll recognize his face from there. Um, so Carmi comes back to Chicago after working in the fine dining world to work in his family's sandwich shop, which is called Original Beef, after there's a death in the family. So he basically has to come in and take over the small sandwich shop and you know they're running out of money things aren't going very well and he has to scrabble to get it all together and he also has to try and get the staff that are already working there to basically respect him which is a tough task for him for the whole series and every episode is so fast paced it's like really quick cuts to the whole thing you're on the edge of your seat watching people cut vegetables presuming that they're going to like chop their fingers off at some at some stage it's so full of tension but it's full of a lot of heart as well because Carmi has suffered this really big loss he's lost his brother you don't really get to know exactly what happened there until later in the series you just know that he's dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of you know deep emotions that are going on beneath this really frenetic life that he's living in the kitchen and you know that he loves being a chef that he loves cooking that he really wants original beef to be brilliant but time and time again all these things keep happening to him to make life difficult for him and um, there's really great music as well i have just i have heard the music the soundtrack described as dad rock which i find you know unfair <laughs> but if, if you're into wilco which you know i don't know if you are I, i'm into wilco and um, I, I you really like the music that they play and um, they, they really kind of capture the vibe of working in a kitchen according to people who have done that job um really really well and it's it'll keep you on the edge of your seat and you might feel a little stressed out after watching it but it's just great and and it ends on a really interesting note so again i'm really curious to see how they're going to make series two go kind of take that jumping point from the end of series one where they're going to bring it because something kind of unusual and unexpected happens um, but mm. i won't spoil what that is Indeed. Well, look, as a confirmed dad rocker, I can tell you, I do like Wilco very much. And I've heard a lot of people say that it's so accurate about working in a kitchen, that kind of frenetic nature of it. Chris, you've seen The Bear as well, haven't you? And you enjoyed it. I did, yeah. It stressed the hell out of me, but I loved yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also, um, I, I actually, you know, and the first episode, I've spoken to a lot of people about the first 10 minutes of the first episode. And what Christopher Storer did in that first installment is a little bit like what Damien Chazelle did with La La Land, or at least that's what it reminded me of. You remember yeah. the opening scene of La La Land, the way it's this big, you know, bells and whistles, song and dance in this motorway. Yeah. Everyone's stuck in their yeah. cars. Everyone gets out. I remember watching that and thinking, I'm going to hate this film. And if this, uh, the next two hours... <laughs> 
is like this. I can't do it. And then you slowly begin to realize that Chazelle was just basically setting out a stall and kind of teasing the audience a little bit and saying that if you can, if you can deal with this, then you can certainly deal with what, what, what I'm about to do. And it's almost like Christopher Storer in the first 10 minutes of The Bear says, look how stressful this life is. <laughs> yeah. And he gives you all of these scenes that don't necessarily tie together. But if you, if you, if you push past that, then it finds a rhythm and then you, you kind of get a sense of who everyone is and where we are and what everyone's about. I just, I, I found it stressful, but I also found it probably, probably the most authentic. I've never mm. worked in a kitchen before, but I felt mm. as though this, mu- this must be what it's actually like to work in, in this world. Um, yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought it portrayed it very well. Yeah, no, I, I got that sense of it. That's a very well-made point about La La Land, I have to say. Chris, let's get another movie of the year from you then. Yeah, I think um, we're probably going to agree, but we might all agree on this one. On Colleen Kuhn, for me, it was probably uh, the finest Irish film of the year. Um, and it's mm. it was such a joy as well to, 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 it's such a joy to be talking about, you know, an Irish language uh, a drama as one of the films of the year, because this for me came out of nowhere. I didn't really know an awful lot about it going in, other than the fact that, uh, you know, Colin Bray, the director, had uh, picked up several awards for it. I mean, it dominated the IFTAs before anyone had even seen it. It dominated the Berlin International. National Film Festival, but again, I was thinking, what is this thing about? And what it's based on is a, a short story, a novella by Claire Keegan, about this young girl who basically discovers, uh, you know, a loving family and lo- love from 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 a caring family for the first time in her life. Because you know, we're in 1980s rural Ireland. She has been largely neglected by her family. This is Catherine Clinch playing the playing the the, the, the main character, and she is kind of just you know shipped off to you know out. Uh, I think it's a uh, uh, cousins of her mum's for a summer, and for the first time as i say kind of discovers what a loving home should be like mm-hmm. you know she's she's uh she's actually listened to you know these family members pay attention to her and we slowly start to discover that there's maybe you know an awful lot going on with this family there might be a little bit of tragedy there there's a bit of a past with the family that will be better explored through the eyes of this little girl while she spends the summer there um and it sounds a little bit uh it, it, i should say as well when, when you sometimes hear of irish language dramas you're thinking this is going to maybe perform to a niche crowd or this is going to kind of maybe be a little too talky what i mean by that is an awful lot of irish dramas they can be a bit too talky and it's kind of ironic that for a film called the quiet girl it uses language only when it needs to Mm. so it's a very quiet reflective piece and if i've made that sound dull it's anything but it's a Mm. beautiful piece of work it looks astonishing it's so well performed uh it's i think the finale is probably the most beautiful of the year too yeah, I completely agree. The ending is, oh, it's spine tingling, even thinking yeah. about it now. And you know, I, I've made this point before, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, when movies are shot beautifully and have this almost poetic feel to them, they can just not entertain people because they can be too much work. You have to take in camera angles sure. and ratios mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this has everything. It is a beautiful poetic work, but it's just gripping and beautiful and, and tear inducing. Uh, Aoife, have you seen it? I have, yeah, and I felt the same as yourselves. It's such a beautiful, beautiful film, and I really loved the novella. I remember getting to the last page when I read it a few years back and just taking that moment to kind of pause and think about what you've just experienced through reading that story. Like, Claire Keegan is such an empathetic writer, and she really captures emotion and loss, and she has so many different layers to her writing, and I think they really bring that across. Colin Braid really brings that across in in the film. Um, It's really beautiful, and there's a reason why it's, you know, resonating with people globally, not just in Ireland, because it's not just yeah. an Irish film, quote unquote. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I'm glad we're all in agreement about that because it's absolutely beautiful. And for people listening at home, we can't forget about them. The whole reason we're doing this, it is still in a lot of cinemas. And my understanding is it will continue to be so. So a lot of people say to me, gosh, I haven't been to the cinema in a while. You could, you know, please skip Avatar and go see on Call Eugene <laughs> if you can, because it is absolutely beautiful. I'm talking to Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser about their best TV and movie picks of the year. We're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back with you. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm talking to Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry about the best TV and movies of the year. I was going to say the year so far, but we are ending it very shortly. So we're looking back. Uh, whose turn is it next? I'm going back to Aoife, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Aoife, your third choice of a great TV show of the year is... Severance. 
I don't know if either of you have seen the series, but it's another like mystery box um, series. It's if you're a fan of stuff like The Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, 1984. If you're into your dystopian anti-capitalist um, content, who then, isn't? Who isn't? I know I am anyway. And then then you love this. It's such a great um, such a great series. It stars Adam Scott as a guy called Mark S. He's a worker for a company called Lumen Industries, very mysterious company. And he's basically gone through a process where he's divided his memory into his like life memory and his work memory. So basically when he, when he gets up and, and in the morning, he kind of lives his life and then he goes into the office and because he's had his memory surgically divided, when he goes into the office, he doesn't remember who he was when he woke up in the morning at home. And when he's at home, he doesn't remember anything that he did when he's at work. So obviously sounds like both the capitalist dream and, and nightmare there. So he goes into this very mysterious office um, and he meets his, his co-workers and they work doing strange jobs for Lumen Industries. They don't seem to be really clear what they're doing. The audience certainly has has no idea what they're doing but they do it in these kind of cubicles that they work in in this beautiful modernist looking office in this massive you know building that again looks a bit mysterious and modernist as well too they've got a really odd um boss called harmony cobell who's played by patricia arquette who is you know very menacing very interesting she actually is unsevered um severance is the process that they undergo to to uh, divide their memories up she's unsevered and the audience realizes she both works with mark and she lives next door to him but he doesn't realize. So you figure out she's probably a bit of a baddie in the story. So you basically follow follow them as they gain some sort of understanding of where they are, thanks to a new uh, colleague who, who comes in called Heli, who starts asking the questions that maybe the others were not asking. Um, mm. It was directed by Ben Stiller and also Aoife McArdle, an Irish director, a Northern Irish director. And it stars also John Turturro and Christopher Walken, who are amazing in it as well too. Their storyline is worth watching. And the finale well, it's so tense. Um, answers some questions, but leaves you at lots as well too. It's a slow moving, but really rewarding, I think, series. And are there more to come or is it a, yeah. a one series thing? Yeah, so it's been, there's another series on the way. There's going to be a second series. And it's really interesting because it's such a cliffhanger that it leaves you on that you're just mm -hmm. so excited to see what is going to happen to them after the adventures that they go on in the last couple of episodes. It's the kind of series that for a while I was like, what's happening? I don't understand. You know, it, it you do have to stick with it. But then I think mm -hmm. you really get a lot from that. And I really liked that you weren't getting this like instant reward. You know, you had to work for it. And by the time you mm -hmm. got to the finale, you're like, okay, I understand what kind of what this is about now. Yeah, no, I've yet to get to it, like a, a lot of stuff this year. Where can people find Severance? Um, so it's Apple TV. Okay, okay, very good. Chris, you haven't seen Severance, have you, or have you? No, I have actually, yeah. Oh, no, I stuck okay. with it. Um, when I say I stuck with it, I remember feeling at the beginning, um, we mentioned Lost earlier, I thought, please don't let this turn into Lost. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. want to, you know, compile all these mysteries on this whiteboard that I have to keep beside myself when I'm watching this sort of show. <laughs> and then at the end of it, just go, well, all of that meant nothing. Um, but uh, actually, I thought Adam Scott was terrific in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he's a performer that everyone always associates with comedy. But in this, you know, trippy kind of, Christopher Nolan meets Charlie Kaufman sort of setup. I thought he actually he was just perfect for it. It's very good. Okay, that sounds great. I really will have to check that out over Christmas now. There's going to be lots of time for all this type of stuff. Chris, your next movie choice. Your first two have been Irish, which is nice. But let's let's go far afield. Um, how about something that was actually uh, shot in Ireland, but uh, is an Irish <laughs> film? Um, we'll go with The Northman, uh, which uh -huh. is uh, the third feature from Robert Eggers. Um, he is the horror filmmaker who gave us The Lighthouse, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, and The Witch, which uh, uh, launched the career of Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm -hmm. um, the Northman is a uh, basically uh, 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 Alexander Skarsgård's return to, 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 to action movies, but it's a Viking thriller that kind of is based on the Scandinavian legend that inspired Shakespeare's Hamlet. And it sees Alexander Skarsgård's character again. It's the, it's the Hamlet sort of setup. He is portraying a man named Hamlet. Um, he does, you know, when he's a kid, he witnesses the the, the murder of his father, uh, who, who's played by Ethan Hawke, at the hands of of Clay's Bang. And he runs away, and he vows to come back one day and kill the man that murdered his father. Um, and when he comes back. 
back, he does so in kind of disguise because he's grown up and nobody recognizes him anymore. But he sort of infiltrates the family lands that Clay's Bangs Viking now runs, and he starts taking down the the the, the, the members of this village one by one until he gets to the you know the uncle that killed his father. Um, so the story is you know obviously familiar to to anyone who has read Shakespeare, seen it on the stage. Um, but it's the delivery that makes all the difference. Now there was actually a few stories around the the, the release of this film that Robert Eggers, who had been so much in control of his previous films because they were smaller, they were a little bit artier, um, that you know Universal because it was his first big blockbuster and because he was working with a mainstream studio that Universal had taken it off him and that he hadn't, you know, he hadn't got final say over the edit. And he did come out and say, look, there was a bit of pushback and he wasn't used to kind of working within the mainstream studio system, but that he was perfectly happy with the version. You know, this is the film that you're going to watch in cinemas is the film that he was happy with. And it was a film that I was very happy with too. I thought Alexander Skarsgård was fantastic in it. I love the fact, even the, some of the, even some of the hammier performance in it, Nicole Kidman playing the mum ethan hawk playing the father uh worked very well for me uh the the set pieces were just you know brutal and bonkers but brilliant everything about this film worked it's just a shame nobody went to see it um it was actually (laughs) it it, it was the first big flop of egger's career and it cost 83 million euro to put together um and unfortunately i think it took in somewhere in the region of 75 um it's doing quite well on video on demand it's doing quite well on streaming but it's just a shame because i when i was sitting there watching this i thought this is a very clever kind of you know angular left to center uh, uh, blockbuster that was made for you know theatrical big screen consumption mm. I, I don't want to watch it on my television but if that's the only yeah. way that you can see is watch it yeah, get a big TV. I did see it, uh, but I, I actually saw it on my TV as well because I didn't make it to the screening. It is very violent. Uh, yes. Not yeah. that it bothered me, but caution advised for the Scottish yeah. viewers, you know. Uh, I thought just by 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 slight tangent, I thought The Lighthouse was a brilliant film, uh, yes. his previous one. It yeah. was the darkest, most twisted thing. William Defoe and Robert Pattinson up a lighthouse getting drowned in turn of the century Nova Scotia. Like it was such a unique, unusual movie that should have done better in award season, I thought. But anyway, Eva, have you seen The Northman? I should have yeah. checked all this beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen The Northman. Yeah, like, I'm a re- really big fan of Eggers as well, and I loved The Lighthouse, and I lo- loved The Witch. I think The Lighthouse is now my favourite uh, one of, of his films, and mm. he's really, like, he is a really, really interesting young director, yeah. like Chris was saying, you know, he's just very uncompromising. He's got a really strong vision. He does really great, you know, intense research into every topic that he, um, that he makes his films about um but i did find it was a bit too i was a bit too squeamish i think for this film and maybe some bits of it i didn't really love at the same time it is a really big epic it's a big spectacle and everything in it is done so well you know and alexander skarsgård is incredible in it like he's just this massive force and björk is in it as well so bonus points for for iceland's queen björk Absolutely. No, I, I completely occur on that. Anything with Bjork in singing or acting is fine by me. Another little name drop, but you'll find this one entertaining. I interviewed Robert Eggers, who seemed like a nice guy for the lighthouse, but he did stop the interview to answer his phone, which kind of <laughs> cheesed me off somewhat. But there you go. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Eva, the White Lotus or White Lotus. I don't think you have the definitive article in it. It's just White Lotus as opposed to the White Lotus. Yeah, I think it's just White Lotus. It's it's uh, the name of the hotel chain. So I presume that just uh, without, without the, the. So yeah, I mean, this is a series that everybody's been really a lot of people have been talking about it's a second series um the first series was a couple of years ago was also you know a big base was a big talked about show but this one particularly tipped it over the edge um it was written and conceived and you know directed by mike white um who people might know from writing school of rock and he's a guy who also was behind enlightened that series there too he's a really interesting writer and just a really interesting person and what he's doing on on white lotus is kind of looking at very rich and privileged people um who are guests at white lotus hotels and putting them in situations where you get to really watch them squirm whether it's because of their kind of personal circumstances or because they might end up being sent home in a coffin as happens to at least one guest in both series so you've got this strange kind of mystery element to it where at the start of each season the first and the second you know that a guest at at white lotus has died and you have to wait until the very end to find out who 
was killed and how and then yeah. in between you've all the stories of the staff working in the hotel you've the stories of the guests um there was one guest that appeared in the two se- two series played by jennifer coolidge called tanya who's like one of the standout people of white lotus and she arrives basically in season two with her assistant portia in tow and her husband greg who she met in the first season and you follow the adventures that she goes on while she's kind of bumbling around the place and being quite gas but you also meet a couple of other couples and families you meet a trio a dad a granddad and, and a son who are trying to kind of find their family history in sicily which is where the second white lotus season is set so you follow them you also follow two couples who have met up um because they knew each other the two guys knew each other from going to college together and they're both now rich tech bros and none of their lives are going particularly well by the time they arrive yeah. at the hotel there's stuff going on that you're kind of figuring out this season's all about sex and relationships and it's quite risque so maybe you might want to not watch it with your parents or whatever <laughs> Christmas <laughs> um, yeah. but it's great yeah you have a pair of sex workers there in it as well too who steal the show um, as well Yushia and Mia and I think those actresses are going to be getting a lot of calls for future roles based on what they were doing White Lotus they were great yeah no White Lotus is great and you know it seems so many shows that you know people say are great these days are this thing dramedies it almost seems like mm. that's where the money is at the moment Hacks which is a show I've been loving yeah. this year I know it came out last year but it's that sweet spot between making you laugh but having plenty of heart and drama in it as well Chris I do know that you have seen this and you yeah. enjoyed it I did I loved every minute of this second season and I loved the first season but I feel as though The White Lotus 2 if we're calling it that kind of fits into that rare category of second season triumphs where everything is just everything's sharper uh, mm. everything, you know, yeah. the performances were better I, just, I thought the I thought it was it was a lot more sure of itself and, and in terms of you know what it was trying to say and, and even the murder mystery element uh, I should actually say that I was re-watching the first season alongside the second and I had uh, downloaded it to watch on a flight to Munich recently and I was maybe like towards the end of episode two or three and sometimes those episodes in the first season would end with scenes that you shouldn't be maybe watching with someone beside <laughs> you on a plane so maybe don't watch on a plane but I will say quickly that it's one of those murder mysteries that's um where it's more than just a whodunit because I can't yeah. think of another whodunit where I was compelled to tune in every week not just to find out who the killer was but to find out who died because they because you, you're shown a body at the end of the, at the start of the first episode and that's why you keep coming back. You keep coming back for the yeah. performances and the writing, but it's like, who, no, I don't, I don't know who did it. I want to know who died. And yeah. I think that's very clever yeah. in my way. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty remarkable TV, all in all. So listen, Chris, your fourth movie choice of the year is... I think my fourth movie choice of the year will be Red Rocket, um, mm. which again, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm talking a lot about films here that were a little bit underappreciated. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Sean Baker, who gave us Tangerine, who gave us The Florida Project. Well, The Florida Project was actually uh, nominated uh, for Oscars a couple of years ago. Willem Dafoe was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar for his performance in that film. Um, Sean Baker usually makes these very low key, sometimes, you know, even in terms of the, the technical side of things, you know, his first film, Tangerine, was shot on an iPhone. The final scene of the florida project was shot on an iphone um he usually employs non-actors he usually looks at you know the outskirts and outcasts of american society um and and he's up to that again in 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 red rocket which is this very rough very rowdy a little bit sketchy but brilliant account of this washed up texas porn star who calls himself saber and but his name is actually mikey and he's portrayed by this actor who's been kind of doing the rounds for years but really just made made a huge impact with this film his name is simon rex um who at one stage actually did star in a porn film but we won't talk about that he uh he plays this character mikey who again you know he's this he, he used to have it all he's also a bit of a wily hustler and he kind of believes his own hype and he's always hatching problematic problematic schemes that affect the lives of everyone around him but usually he ends up on his feast and things are going a little bit rough for him so he travels across country on his last dollar on a bus he knocks on the door of his estranged wife uh, uh, Lexi portrayed by Brie Elrod and he says I need a place to stay and herself and her mother actually put him up while he tries to get back on his feet and she thinks that he's working a job and earning a few bucks and actually you know turning his life around that he's going to be honest that he's going to be a better partner but all he's actually eyeing up 
his comeback and how he's going to make that comeback happen mm-hmm. in the world of professional adult films. Um, there are parts of the story that are quite problematic and there are yeah. you know, huge parts of Mikey that are quite problematic, yeah. but it's not that we're rooting for him. It's that we can't take our eyes off of the schemes and off of the plots because we know it's going to go sideways. We just don't know how. Um, so it's quite ballsy. It's quite, um, it's a little bit tricky and tricksy, uh, but it's so entertaining. It is probably the funniest comedy of the year. And again, it was underappreciated. So if you see it in terms of streaming options uh, this Christmas or in the new year, seek it out. There are uncomfortable moments and problematic yes. moments. But what I really liked about this, you like me and Anif as well, we watched a lot of stuff. This defied what I thought it was going to go to. Most movies follow a certain arc. And what was fascinating about this was his character begins and you, you think you are rooting for him. You think he is this, you know, guy who, you know, maybe shouldn't be making porn, but he's going to try and turn his life around. And then it goes off in this really weird troubling direction I didn't see coming and and it's making I notice a lot of end of the year polls and I think rightly so because even if you find problems with it it's a unique ride if you'll pardon the unfortunate use of that term there it, it, it really is uh, I, I, I thought it was great Aoife time is running out so yeah. let's move to your last TV choice of the year yeah, so it's Bad Sisters, um, which, which is definitely one of the big ones of the year for a lot of people. It's on Apple TV still. And it, what was nice about this is that you got, I think it was two episodes at the start, and then you had to go back weekly um, for appointment telly, as they call it. Um, and so that was nice that I think everybody was kind of watching the watching each episode together. So we all know and love Sharon Horgan. I mean, she's she's a multi-hyphen threat, really, isn't she? You know, writer, <laughs> you know, uh, star, director, everything. She's, she's brilliant. And she is behind this. It's, it's a remake of um, Belgium series called Clan and it's about a group of women called the Garvey sisters and they're all very close um, they're all played by great actresses so alongside Sharon Horgan you had Anne-Marie Duff, Eva Berthasil, Sarah Green and Eve Hewson um, so they all get on very well they live in Dublin but w- the problem is one of them is married to a very awful man who's played by Clay Spang um, who was also in The Northman as well there's a, a nice connection there and um, he's killed and the five sisters become murder suspects um, because Brian Gleeson and Daryl McCormack are life insurance men basically who were mm. trying to figure out whether or not these sisters did have a hand in the death of the evil husband um everybody in it is just playing at the top of their game it's really good crack it's got a lot of heart some bits of it are slightly fantastical but it's really grounded in the kind of reality of the relationships between the sisters you know they go sea swimming they have fights they borrow each other's jumpers and all that sort of stuff and don't apologize for mean things they do and they also try to protect their sister who's basically being abused by this terrible person um just really enjoyable and it has been um, there's going to be a series two of it so I am left with a lot of questions considering it was all wrapped up very uh, yeah. neatly with the bow at the end what are they going to do what will the Garvey sisters do in another series but I do trust that Sharon Horgan will bring them in an interesting place yeah no I think so it was brilliant and people hated loving or loved hating Class Bang because he was yeah. horrible in it awesome. I was going to say Eve Hewson was brilliant in it but, but the, yeah. the five sisters were all brilliant and as you say at the top of the game Chris I know re- you really liked it too we don't have time to hear why you really liked it too because you want to hear about your final movie choice please yeah that's a shame because I was looking forward to talking about their beautiful oh, houses wow. <laughs> their beautiful houses um, yeah. a- After Sun um, is probably uh, yes. I'll go with uh, uh, my, my, my last great film of the year in this slot um it uh, stars Paul Meskell uh, as this young Scottish dad, and he has this impeccable Scottish accent here. Um, uh, not, not that I would know what an impeccable Edinburgh accent sounds like, but apparently Edinburgh critics have turned around and said, yep, there's nothing wrong with that. And he is, uh, enjoying is probably the wrong word, but he is off on a late 90s sun holiday with his 11-year-old daughter, portrayed by Frankie Corio, uh, a newcomer who is terrific here. Her name is Sophie. And we guess uh, from you know their first day or two that he hasn't been around that much, that he himself and Sophie his mom are separated um, but she doesn't seem to mind because they have a very interesting relationship uh, you know he's he's quite honest with her and he kind of talks to her as though she is an equal or at least a sister and not a daughter and even when they're away at the resort and they're playing pool together and she wants to go play pool with all their boys um, you know he, he he's okay with that and he says let's just look after yourself and then we can talk about it afterwards so they have a very interesting relationship and it sounds as though the setup might be like that of every other father and child holiday drama where these to, uh, you know, the, 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 this father and the child, they go on holidays and something might happen that will first tear them apart, but then bring them back together in the end. That's actually not the case. And it, it, it's so, it's, it's, it's a joy, but it's also quite shocking to have the rope pulled from underneath you by the filmmaker Charlotte Wells halfway through when you realize that this, there's this world of sadness just 
bubbling underneath uh, in terms of uh, uh, Callum's character and that, you know, he might be depressed and that he might not have taken the uh, separation between himself and Sophie's mum all that well. And these are things that explore gently and lightly throughout the film. And also there's this lovely framing device where we realise, we start to realise as it goes on, and it's quite a short film too. Charlotte Wells actually packs an awful lot in here. We realise that Sophie is watching recordings of their holiday in the late 90s as a 30-something-year-old woman and trying to figure out, could she see what was going on with her dad? And we're trying to figure out what happened to the dad after this. So there's an awful lot going on in there, but Mescal is terrific. Uh, the direction is just beautiful. Uh, I think uh, Corio is just a star in the making. It is just an exquisite drama and just probably one of the best of the year, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you again. And what I loved about it was it lingers long in the memory afterwards and you kind of refigure it once you get to the end and stuff that you saw in the first couple of scenes like him doing Tai Chi on the balcony seems to make more sense once you get to the movie's end and once you've thought about it. So I, I absolutely loved it. And again, not that it's in any way like Red Rocket, but in just in that it defies kind of expectation and is is a film less ordinary and, and we need more of that. We are out of time, but in 30 seconds, Aoife, can I mention to you Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus and can you tell me what you thought of it? Because I thought it was actually a surprisingly good TV show from earlier this year. Yeah, so I didn't get to finish the series, but I just thought it was really interesting the way it was addressing what happened to Pamela Anderson in a mm. way that wasn't addressed in the 90s. Because I remember being like, what, 12 when all of that stuff happened about the sex tape. and. Mm -hmm nothing was kind of addressed as to why she was treated the way she was or why they were treated the way they were. Whereas this did it in a very, in a colourful way. It's not like the serious uh, series or anything like that. It's really um, colourful the way it addresses it. It's a big, it's a big series, really interesting characters in it as, or actors in it as well too. But yeah, I thought it was just, it's, it was an interesting way of of addressing something serious, but in a not po-faced kind of way. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It certainly yeah. does. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah. And I concur with you. And it was one of my picks of the year. And Chris, very finally, also in 30 seconds, should we not have mentioned, and that's a leading question, but for <laughs> Blockbuster of the Year anyway, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I, Top Gun Maverick would certainly be in my probably in my top twenty. It surprised okay. the hell out of me. I don't think Top Gun deserved a, a follow up quite as tight, quite as polished, as beautifully filmed as as Top Gun Maverick was. But you know, here we are. Um, I think there were certainly <laughs> problems with the story, but I just remember sitting there throughout the many you know dazzling set pieces and thinking, this is kind of what cinemas are for, and these are probably just some of the finest action sequences ever committed to film. So mm. I, I for 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 all the stories about Tom Cruise, every time I go see a Tom Cruise film, I sit there in a theater and go, oh, wow. <laughs> and that's not something I get with any other movies though. well listen I want to thank you both very much uh, there's been a huge amount of agreement in, in, in this slot they tell me you need to have arguments on the radio but we've all been singing off the same hymn sheet but it is that time of year you know peace has reigned so I want to thank Aoife Barry of the Journal and also get the Get Around to It podcast and Chris Wasser film critic and general arts journalist thank you both very much thanks so much thanks John up next, Camilo Sullivan on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to the last part of Screen Time. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. I'm delighted now to be joined by well-known singer and indeed actress Camille O'Sullivan, who is currently on stage in The Gate for Piaf, which I've just been told this morning has been extended by another week into February. Great news indeed. Camille joins me now to chat about her favourite movie. Hello, Camille. Hi, lovely to speak to you. You too. Now listen, take this as a compliment, but when I got word last night of your favourite movie, I thought, yes, that that fits. Now, <laughs> I, I hope you take that as a compliment. So <laughs> tell our listeners what it is and um, why. Sad but true. Um, I think my favourite movie is The Wizard of Oz. And um, I don't know, like I love a lot of the films from, I mean, that was uh, made in 1938 or 39. I love uh, that era, but also uh, there's probably a few reasons. When I was little, I I think I played um, every part between the good witch, the bad witch, and I think even Dorothy behind a curtain for somebody who might have looked a bit more like Dorothy than me. <laughs> and um, I love, I, I think there's many reasons, but I think the magical thing of it being a black and white film that suddenly explodes into Technicolor and, I I think I've realised um, I'm not a big 
person who loves reality in my life. I love fantasy. And the story of this magical tale, I I think at the core of it really is the notion. I'm quite an emotion person. I love this thing of someone who's looking for a heart or a head or, you know, they're they're looking for something and she's looking for home. And that idea that home was always where where she was from herself like she was searching for it all the time yeah um in my own shows like i've been known to wear ruby slippers i think i have about probably i've collected around like runners that are ruby slippers boots shoes uh you know you yeah. name it. my poor child i think was dressed like dorothy wizard uh, uh dorothy with um the little fake Toto in a basket and my, my friends laughed because she, you know, Lila's nine now, but she's like, I love Dorothy Wizard of Oz. And my friends are like, yeah, why? <laughs> What's the reason to that? And, um, don't apologize for forcing your favorite magical, movies on your kids. It's great. Yeah. I think it's magical. And the songs, of course, you know, yeah. to, um, the, uh, somewhere over the rainbow. And I, I've, I love listening to actually the old recording um, of the the whole music. And I just think it looks fantastical. And the, the fact that the characters um, who play all, you know, the lion and the tin man are actually working on the farm. And, you know, it's things I didn't really see when I was growing up. I didn't recognize yeah. that. And then later I'm like, oh, my God, that's them. Um, so, yeah. And I suppose I love the I'm quite childlike, so just the notion of the good and evil and, you know, good wins out in the end. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful story and you, and you describe its effect on you beautifully. I must say, tell me this, Lila, your daughter, because I always ask people about this. D- d- did she enjoy it or was she just, you know, this is mommy's favorite movie? Well, I think poor thing was probably, you know, <laughs> got to see it since she was two or three. So I think she was scared of, the, the little monkeys and you know stuff yeah. like that but I think she has I mean I've I've I let her watch her own thing but I, I do think I maybe you know after dressing her up so many times and people <laughs> laughed they you know um I think she loves it herself too just for she, like people say we're quite similar but I don't you know uh, I didn't try to enforce it on her but I think it might have been the one movie I did. Um, yeah. kind of <laughs> I said, come on, let's watch this again. So yeah. there's worse movies to force on a, a nine year old or a younger old. And of course, Judy Garland, I actually rewatched it about a year ago for, for a work thing. She's, she's just delightful, isn't she? Is, oh. I, she's a child, but she has such presence. Unbelievable. And um, there is like, I think she was older uh, than the character. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much, but um I mean, I became such a fan of hers throughout, like all her um, films. There's such a beautiful kind of emotive quality to her. And there's there's these amazing times that you see her in her own shows singing that song. There's one particular one that I would say to your viewers to try and see. It's um, I'll try and put it up on a on a Facebook or an Instagram because it's um, it's kind of an unknown one, but it's at the latter part of her life. And um, she was quite lost then. And she did Mm -hmm. this amazing show where she appears um, as a kind of a chimney sweep. It's something, it's an act she used to do in variety. But she sings um, somewhere over the rainbow full of soot on her face. And it's the most heartbreaking thing. Like it's absolutely, it shows why she was such a kind of an incredible singer and why people loved her Mm -hmm. so much. But it, it's a uh, spine tingling, and um, I don't know. I just I, I can like. There's lots of things that you watch again and again, but I can't tire of it. I mean, to be honest, now I've got a pair of shoes last year I got from a place that people have stopped me in the street because it's got the yellow brick road, the gingham on it, the picture of all the characters on the soles and the red sparkle. And mm-hmm. I think I'm growing old disgracefully now. I've decided <laughs> I'm not going to turn into, <laughs> I'm not going to dress like the characters, but I was looking at like, you know, I thought if only I could get the band to dress like them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at me like, back off, Camille. Don't think, <laughs> don't do it. And, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, well, well, listen, that is clearly your favourite movie and it, it is delightful to hear you uh, describe it in such glowing terms. I mentioned PF, which is currently in the Gate Theatre. It is now running into February, which is great, and there are still tickets available for it. 
just for, now, I haven't seen it unfortunately. There's just it's the wrong time of year for me, I'm afraid. But hopefully, in January, I will get to it. But this is a, like a, a, a sort of biography of her with mm. obviously lots of musical interludes, which you act and sing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, it's amazing. Like, there's an incredible um, ensemble cast there, and it's uh, you know, got the likes of Rory Nolan and Phelan Drew and Kate Gilmore and Zara Devon. Like there's a lot of them, like at this stage of my life, everybody looks like they're under 18. So I can't work out what <laughs> I'm very, I think it's a bit spinal tap for me because it shows her latter life where she's kind of losing it. And I'm like, that's a bit close to the bone now. <laughs> a bit like which part of me is Piaf is more so that. But the I think it's amazing because it's I'm half French, right? And but I yes. don't speak fluent French. So I had to really you know when you have to learn a song that usually takes an hour or so but that was like a seven hour because also my mom is you know she's a wonderful French lady but she'd be quite tough on how how I say things and pronounce it so I had to really kind of nail that and so did most of the cast and we do a lot of it in French and some in English but I think what was amazing that I didn't really know her uh, music wasn't something I'd sang maybe one or two like 20 years ago and I always kind of had a kind of a a sanitized version of what she was about because you see these beautiful kind of covers and then you hear uh, these in certain clubs and I didn't realize she was a you know a really incredible person, like with a very tough upbringing, like a very surreal, uh, unfortunate kind of start of poverty. But her, she was kind of, um, her, her mum had um, left her and abandoned her and her father brought her to the north of France where his mother and father ran a brothel. So her life at the start was, uh, uh, you know, unusual. And then she was blind for four years, which I didn't know. So I thought, well, wow, was that one of the reasons she became so incredible with this amazing voice and started street singing and led this kind of incredible life with loads of kind of um, uh, uh, love affairs. But one particular sad, tragic one where she lost the love of her life when asking him, like he was a married man, uh, Marcel Sardin, a heavyweight boxer, and asked him to kind of come back to visit her. And he um, unfortunately died on that plane crash. But I was like reading my script. I was like, how many boyfriends did you have? And how, what is this? You know, like Jesus, <laughs> and, you know, and, um, but her, she, what was amazing, I didn't know she wrote Le Vie and Rose or Him Lamore. She wrote those songs. So she was an incredible um, singer, but also um, she um, worked with uh, other uh, writers as she wrote some of the lyrics, but then she'd bring them to her house kind of ply them drink and then get them locked into the studio so they'd have to come out with a song the next day and she was kind of a formidable woman like during the um resistance she was smuggling prisoners out of camps and the the french people didn't know that because she had to look like she was kind of befriending the germans so a lot of people were um kind of uh, upset with her but then only found out later and then of course she had this part of her life i didn't know about which was called the suicide tour she was kind of like she'd be collapsing on stage and it was happening for a few years and then you know passed away when she was 47 so she lived this incredible life but she was far more kind of um uh, when you watch her sing her live stuff and i'd recommend anybody just go online she was just incredible she had a real amazing presence and and was quite still i think when you see all these pictures it's a lot of kind of graceful looking movements with the hands but um i, I suppose her years of street singing um brought out this really um strong um a passionate person who was uh, much tougher than i realized so anyway i'm the start of the show is quite good fun for people. My father and mother were like, oh, my God, is she going to make it? Because it's quite a funny beginning. Well, not funny for, for Piaf or me, but uh, for the audience, um, it's disquieting in, in a good way. And the the the, the script is good fun. Like people, um, it's kind of, I say it's a mix of like the sadness, but not a, um, a carry on need of Piaf, but it is very funny in parts and shows her great humor. But the songs really are to me like the stars of that show. It's just a kind of like really joyful and amazing to be given the time yeah. um, to learn them. And, and um, I'm quite a, 
uh, I'm emotional. And my mum said, thank God you're Irish and French because you'd be far too serious if you weren't. You know, you have that side to you which can laugh at yourself. And yeah. um, and we like a bit of darkness and a bit of black humour. We, we certainly do. And there's an accordion player there, Derek um, McKenna and Fergal Murray on piano, who um, they're kind of hidden in the shadows, but they're just amazing. And um, it's joyous. At the moment, I'm trying to make a little Santa's grotto um, in the green room with the caster laughing because I'm I'm taking cardboard from the neighbors next door and. I'm making candy canes. I mean, I'm eccentric as they come. So I'm trying <laughs> to keep my myself buoyant because it's quite a full on story. And yeah. what I laughed about was when we were rehearsing and we were getting ready for the, the run, I'd, I'd come off stage and, and go back on and go, I don't have a clue where I'm because I'm I'm constantly coming on and off. And now I know what I'm doing. But it's got a magical, there was an illusionist that we brought on to do the show. The cast is incredible and the gate I mean, the gate at Christmas, uh, before COVID, we'd done um, Christmas Carol. And it's just, I mean, people are really, you know, yeah. loving that. And and being back in front of people is it's, just it, really it, special, you yeah. know. Super. Well, listen, don't ever apologize for being eccentric because they make great <laughs> radio guests. PF <laughs> is running, as I say now, until the 4th of February. Is it a fascinating life writ large on stage, principally by my guest Camille O'Sullivan, whose favourite movie was The Wizard of Oz. Camille, delightful to talk to you. Thanks very much. I'm going to click my th- my heels now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much again. What was that? The Munchkins. They're laughing because I am a witch. I'm Glinda, the Witch of the North. You are? Oh, I beg your pardon, but I've never heard of a beautiful witch before. The Munchkins are happy because you have freed them from the Wicked Witch of the East. Oh, but if you please, what are Munchkins? The little people who live in this land. It's Munchkin land, and you are their national heroine, my dear. It's all right. You may all come out and thank her. A clip there from The Wizard of Oz. And my thanks to Camille O'Sullivan. That is it for this week. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Next week, I will be back on Christmas Eve, bringing you a very special festive screen time where I'll be bringing you some of my favourite and hopefully your favourite Christmas movies and Christmas TV specials and music from those movies and TV shows. But that is it for this week. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend and have a safe week ahead.